Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. This is Pete Vecchi, and I want to welcome you to today's episode of Reconciling Grace. I'm one of the associate pastors at West Carrollton Church of the Nazarene, and we have a panel of leaders in churches today, and their names are Steve Wilson. Steve is a Christian author who has a Master's of Divinity degree from United Theological Seminary in Dayton. We have Reverend Vicki Cundiff. Vicki is one of the staff pastors at Countryside Church of the Nazarene in Lebanon, Ohio. And also with us today is Mick Wells. Mick has been a member of the Wells of Salvation Ministries since 1980. He is also one of the co-hosts of the Cross Connection radio program. And last week on Reconciling Grace, we dealt with the topic of lying. And as so often happens here, we have so much stuff we want to discuss that 30 minutes just doesn't do it. Mick led us through the first part of the discussion last week, and he's going to be the one to kind of lead us through the discussion this second week. So, Mick, I'm just going to turn it over to you now. Well, thanks, Pete. And uh, this week we want to take a look at some scriptures that give us some insight into what God thinks of lying. And if you listen to our first program, I hope you realize this is a very serious issue, and it's uh, driven some searching in my mind, even getting me to the point where maybe the term lie isn't totally applicable in all the situations we discussed. Now, what I really am interested in and what motivates me in my spiritual life is, is knowing um, the mind and, and the heart of God. What does he think about the things? I mean, there's four of us here. You're going to hear four different opinions. Uh, and uh, there's nothing wrong with opinions. Ultimately, we want to know what God wants us to know and to live our lives uh, accordingly to glorify him. So today we're going to look at a, a few scriptures that give us insight into what uh, God thinks of lying. Later on, we're going to move into looking at some interesting examples from the Bible of these types of situations. And... Um, See if we can pick up on anything in terms of what God thinks uh, of the actions. Okay, we're going to start with uh, Steve Wilson. Steve, would you share with us Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19? Sure, it says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that hurry to run to evil, a lying witness who testifies falsely, and one who sows discord in a family. Hey, thanks, Steve. Um, what struck me, just to throw this out, what struck me about what Steve read is that if you look for a thread of continuity in here, the lying is thrown in with all kinds of evil purpose evil intent and it seems to me that the word lie almost inherently implies or connotes uh, an evil intent and we talked last week about there are occasions when 
uh, giving misinformation or, or lying or whatever you want to call it, has a, a godly intent to protect the lives of other others. And, and as Pete pointed out in closing last week, that uh, these would be extremely rare situations. So um, what, what I hope is that the scripture means what it says and to the average reader. So when we talk about lying in the context that Steve just talked about, would, would you agree that based on what he read out, out of the Proverbs that there's, uh, there's, there's a malice or an evil intent or purpose? Any thoughts on that? I think that's a great point to bring up. Um, I must be one of the more gullible people in the world because, I don't know, I, I honestly think that it's because the Lord has done a work in my life when, when, he, when he saved me, when he sanctified me. He took out that part of me that wants to lie. Now, I'm saying I can't, I'm not saying that I can never lie, but I don't understand it when somebody walks up and, and, and uses a bald-faced lie. I just don't understand how they can have that intention. But here it is talking in Proverbs about the intention. And I think you brought up a couple of things last week, Mick, um, for instance, the telephone call about whether or not your wife was home. Um, I've thought about it this way before. Somebody will ask me if I'm playing a little practical joke, who took that piece of cake from off the table? And I won't say I didn't do it. I'd say, what piece of cake? Because I didn't want to lie. You <laughs> <All know. right. laughs> um, so I think evil intention, uh, especially based on this scripture from Proverbs, is a great way of looking at it. It's a characteristic of lying. Any other thoughts on that? You know, what I find interesting here is lying is actually mentioned twice. Yeah, it is. Uh, twice and then uh, false testimony, but the word lie is mentioned yeah. twice. And it's all through here associated with, with evil in, intent. Okay, Pete, let's go on to a scripture from the New Testament. Would you share with us Revelation 21.8? Sure. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death, and that's from the New International Version. So you have to conclude it's a serious matter. Now, as you mentioned before, you know, we're all vulnerable to uh, sin. The Bible says if anybody does sin, though, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. So if, if we do happen to lie, does that mean we're going to be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur? I think personally that if we lie uh, and the Holy Spirit convicts us, we will uh, confess that and restore full fellowship um, with God. But I, I think it's very clear here the uh, gravity of the concept of lying, and, and just as Steve had read with the characteristics there in Proverbs, what you read, there's nothing godly about that list of, of people and, and types that you read, Pete. I mean, cowardly, unbelieving, vile, murderer, sexually immoral. There's nothing God-honoring about that right. list. And I think it's important for us to look at this, because you kind of asked the question, you know, does one lie consign you to the fires of hell? I believe that the way that this is looked at, even in the Greek of the of the New Testament, the idea that is conveyed is this is the type of lifestyle 
that a person has. Mm-hmm. So it's a lifestyle of lying, a lifestyle of of uh, being unbelieving, of being vile, things such as that. Characteristic of the unbeliever. Correct. Right, and that's the big difference, I think. Okay, uh, Vicki's going to share with us something similar to the scripture you just read, Pete, and it's Revelation 22 and verse 15. Outside the gates of the heavenly city are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Thank you, Vicki. Um, and this has value to me because it answers the proverbial question, do all dogs go to heaven? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I think dogs is referring to uh, people who are less than honorable. But uh, said outside, and I put parenthetically because that, uh, that's not part of the verse, but it's, it's a context for the verse itself. Outside of those gates are the dogs, sorcerers, etc., and everyone who loves and practices lying. And I think that's consistent with what you just read, Pete. So what I want us to take home from these verses is that God takes lying very seriously and that lying inherently, uh, if it's a pattern, if it's embraced as a lifestyle, involves all kinds of things and behaviors that are ungodly. And I think that the... Uh Revelation 22:15 which Vicky just read kind of ends there the words kind of confirm what I was just talking about about the lifestyle because it says not everyone who lies it says everyone who loves and practices lying right. so that's kind of a lifestyle something that describes that, that yeah exactly very good okay any other thoughts and if if not uh, we'll go on to some examples from the bible what we want to share with you now is uh, scriptures, and this, these don't involve Christians per se. These come from Old Testament times, and they involve the actions and, and words, statements from what we would term Gentile. They're not, they're not Jewish uh, individuals, but they did things that uh, some would say are lying. Uh, others might say there's got to be a better way to characterize it than lying. One of the classic uh, examples for discussion involves a lady named Rahab in the Old Testament. I'll give you a little context here. Uh, Rahab was a Gentile. Uh, if we understand scripture correctly, she was actually in the uh, lineage of, of Jesus Christ from an earthly perspective. And uh, what she did has been debated discussed and discussed by Christian scholars for for many years. I'm going to ask Steve if you'll read Joshua chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. Okay, thanks, Steve. Um, Clearly, Rahab had given some misinformation. But what was her motive? To protect the spies. To protect the spies, right. And uh, 
So she gave misinformation. Would we characterize this as a lie? Interestingly, um, John Calvin and uh, August, Augustine, or Augustine, some call him, uh, didn't like that. They thought, well, that was a lie, and it, you know, it should be condemned. But um, you know, later on in the Bible, it tells us that uh, Rahab was uh, commanded. And Pete, would you share Hebrews eleven thirty one? By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So what do you think? I mean, the Holy Spirit inspired that verse, and she's being commended, in effect, for her faith. Right, so she's being commended for her faith, not for her lie that she told. So, in other words, she kind of read the picture correctly. The Israelites are coming in, they're going to take over the land, and she said, okay, I have faith in the real God, that this is going to happen. But I have to wonder what would have happened had she not lied. Right. Would God still have protected those spies? Would God still have protected her for her faith? Would we get another verse in the Bible saying, well, she was commended for her faith and for her honesty in the face of danger like that? The one thing that occurred to me with this verse in Hebrews, and you're right, it it doesn't command her for lying. In fact, I can't find anywhere in the Bible where uh, the Lord expressly condones lying. Um, but the verse that Pete read said, by faith, because she welcomed the spies. Well, that I don't know how much hair splitting we want to do. She welcomed the spies. They were there. And then what she did in terms of lying happened afterwards. But what was pointed out by faith that she welcomed them and in, in effect uh, honored their mission. Right, and I think we need to uh, pick up with that in just a few moments after we have a word from our sponsor. And this is Pete Vecchi back with you for Reconciling Grace, and we've been discussing the topic of lying. Mick Wells has been leading the topic, and Mick, you had just uh, made some great points. Uh, what would you like to continue with here? Well, we're, we're going in a few minutes here to discuss another example, but uh, Vicki had some good insights concerning uh, Rahab being suddenly put on the spot, and I thought those were good, Vicki. Would you share that? Well, hindsight is twenty twenty, and earlier you mentioned Augustine and Calvin's viewpoints that as they dissected this scripture, they're looking at it like she was so wrong to lie. But you know, they're not in the heat of the moment. And I think that that's something that we need to consider. Uh, obviously, concerning what uh, Hebrews says about her, she was commended for her faith. Uh, and as Steve pointed out, it wasn't about her, her lying. So she did it to protect, as we've talked about before. Um, but I just think that sometimes uh, scholars or anybody can just dissect a scripture to the point that they miss the point. Right. I think uh, first and foremost, we have to let the, the scriptures speak for themselves. It's interesting what the theologians and scholars have to say. But that's a great point uh, about the reality of Rahab having to immediately do this and didn't have the luxury of... Uh, 
lawyers and advocates to dissect what should she do. And uh, we trust that uh, Rahab's decision honored God. And, uh, and I think this next example we're going to go to uh, gives us some clues in that department too. This concerns uh, Egyptian midwives uh, when they, during the uh, exile in Egypt. And so, uh, Vicki, would you share with us the story of Exodus chapter 1, verses 15 through 21? The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Puah, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And the midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Okay, thank you, Vicki. And again, these midwives, like Rahab, they weren't Jewish people, but uh, they did have a respect and, and fear and an obedience toward um, God. Um, it says here that, and this is the closest, by the way, I can find in the scriptures to God actually condoning the behavior. When Vicki read, so God was kind to the midwives, so as if as a consequence, God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became more numerous because the midwives feared God. Now these are not Jewish believers, as far as I know, um, this is referring to uh, Jehovah, fearing Jehovah, fearing the God of the Jewish people. And these Gentile midwives uh, did not want to carry out the evil desires of the king. Um, so again, we see that there was good intent here. The desire, like with Rahab, was to protect the lives of other people. So I think that's consistent with what we say in very rare circumstances would be uh, a good reason uh, to glorify God through this false information. What do you think? Well, you know, Mick, um, the king's orders were against the law of God. Yes. And whether or not they, they knew God or knew of his law, it was a moral issue. And yeah. they knew morally that it was wrong to kill. Yes. And so the king was going directly against morality, going directly against the law of God. And so it's it's fine and it's encouraged we should go against the authority of someone over us that is trying to have us do something that is wrong. Yeah. We should not do that. And you know, the lying aside, uh, that whole concept might be fodder for about 16 programs because as citizens uh, uh, in this world, we often faced with uh, ethical and moral dilemmas. Mm -hmm. But the midwives, it says, feared God and God rewarded them gave them uh, families of their own. So now, let me, let me throw out uh, another alternative to the lying plan again. Um, there's this idea of solidarity where Christians, instead of saying, yeah, I'm going to lie, I'm going to you know, deceive you, what if they had said, uh, yeah, Pharaoh, I'm not going to kill these children, and I'm standing with the Jewish people. 
Uh, so if you're going to punish them, you're going to punish me too. And if enough people uh, stand up for each other like that, there doesn't need to be lying. Yeah. You know, you, you stand up against the authority and say, we're not going to have this. Yeah, that, uh, that's an interesting, and I agree with you. In these circumstances, there wasn't a chance to rally people to support you on the spot. Um, we need to point out that uh, this just doesn't happen in Old Testament times. It's uh, been noted that uh, great Christians like Dietrich Bonhoeffer over in uh, Germany, uh, he actually lived in circumstances where lying was necessary uh, or giving false information was necessary to um, protect the lives of some Jewish people. Um, it's been said that uh, when he was in a Nazi prison cell, uh, he held that under certain circumstances, lying was not only morally permissible, but morally mandated. Uh, you think of Corey Ten Boom, the great uh, saint of God that was alive earlier in my lifetime, and she lied in order to protect Jewish people from going to extermination camps. But the purpose here, let's step back, the purpose here in these very rare circumstances, how many of us are ever going to be in the circumstance of Dietrich Bonhoeffer or Carrie Ten Boom? It's extremely rare. But let us point out that if the intention here is to glorify God, there may well be a justification for false information. Well, as you can tell through our discussions, we really want to know what God thinks of the concept of lying or deceiving or using false information. You've heard us stress rare circumstances where we uh, would give false information with a godly intent. Uh, there's an interesting scripture that gives us some uh, insight into what God thinks of this topic. It's out of 1 Kings chapter 22, and I'm going to ask Steve to read uh, verses 19 through 23. Sure. And uh, before I read that, let me just give some background. Uh, God decreed that this king should die. He, he was a wicked king. It was time for him to leave power. Uh, God was punishing him. And so to send him into war, to put him in a, in a place of danger where he would be killed, God had all of these prophets go to the king and say, you're going to win. You're going to be victorious over your enemies. And he kept putting off, bringing in this one prophet named Micaiah, because he, didn't, he never liked what Micaiah had to say, because Micaiah confronted him with, him, with his sin. Uh, he, he wouldn't let Ahab off the hook. So here we're going to pick up the story. Um, King Ahab finally brings Micaiah in uh, to hear what he has to say. Micaiah continued, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the multitudes of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this, another that. Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked. I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all his prophets, he said. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. 
Thanks, Steve. Uh, very interesting here. Uh, one source that I read commented that um, you can't take this literally because it's recounting a vision, and I'm not sure I agree with that. I think the words are there if, uh, if it says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all his multitudes of heaven around him. I believe that happened. I believe that happened. I don't think there's a dream involved here. There's no indication of a vision. Right. Uh, I agree with that. And then when you said finally a spirit came forward, it didn't say an evil spirit. It says a spirit. What do you think of this? Are, if it's an evil spirit, do evil spirits have access to uh, the heavenly court or the, the throne of God? Any thoughts on that? The Bible talks about um, Satan having been in heaven under the name of Lucifer, um, things such as that. And we could really get into a big discussion of this is, does God, uh, is God bound by time as we understand time? That would be another whole way of looking at this. Um, my big point is, as I'm looking at the final verse here, um, so now the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. Micaiah is telling the truth. Yeah. And so I think that the spirit um, that God sent may not have been sent. You know, we use the word sent, but maybe I think we would use the word perhaps allowed. God allows evil in this world i think perhaps this is this is what happened where god allowed these these prophets to um give false testimony because they weren't true prophets anyway i recall there were like 400 of them and uh this deceiving spirit convinced them to convince um ahab uh giving him the information that he wanted to hear <laughs> what his itching ears wanted to hear but I think it get, brings up a broader question, too, and I'm glad Steve suggested this. Um, and it, it's probably a program unto itself. To what extent does God use ungodly people and things to further his purpose? And my first thought, and this may be a rabbit trail, Pete, is the whole idea of, of smuggling Bibles. I'm sure that not every person who smuggled Bibles has done so with a godly intention, but God used that. God used uh, the atrocities of uh, the Nazis to precipitate the Zionist movement, the return of Israel. So that may be a, a program for us someday, but clearly here it looked like if the Lord, uh, he didn't intend evil, he used it to carry out uh, his will and give Ahab the words he wanted to hear, and he, he used a deceiving spirit. But it doesn't mean God's evil. Indeed, Scripture says he cannot lie. In fact, one says it's impossible for God uh, to lie. So I think these are all, all really good points. Well, I think that uh, there are so many ways we could keep going with this, but... Uh... We wouldn't necessarily be beating a dead horse, but we'd be beating a horse that's been whipped and whipped and whipped, I think. Um, we would like to continue this. Maybe we'll get back to this type of subject at another time, another day. But I think we all have come to the conclusion that it's wrong to lie. Does anybody disagree with that? No. 
I think that we all have come to the conclusion that um, there may be very, very rare circumstances where God will permit it. But that's basically because we live in an imperfect world and in imperfect circumstances. And this has been an interesting topic led by Mick Wells. We've also had with us Vicki Cundiff, Steve Wilson. My name is Pete Vecchi. We are all here, um, hopefully, to be able to talk to you. If you have any questions for us, if you'd like us to discuss a topic, send us an email to rg at faithandfriendsradio.com. If you'd like us to come speak to you at your church or in a group, send us an email to rg at faithandfriendsradio.com. This is Pete Vecchi again for Steve, Mick, and Vicki. May you have a wonderful day. God bless you. This has been Reconciling Grace. Join us again next time as our panel discusses biblical truths centered around the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ.